0: Welcome everyone, you're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg.
1: The perfect spotless Lamb of God does not deserve to go to hell, but would it be easier for you Would it bother you less if Jesus visited this place to proclaim his victory over death and hell after his death on the cross and his resurrection? Again, he didn't go there to suffer punishment. He did not go there to suffer punishment because the punishment that he received on the cross satisfied the Lord, satisfied his Father. Not only the public lashings and the physical stuff, he was forsaken on the cross. God the Father looked away from his Son. That's what the word forsaken. He was forsaken on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what the word means. Abandon. How can I?
0: Today on Truth in Christ, Jesus proclaims his victory on the cross. Welcome to today's lesson. Pastor Rob continues our study in Peter's first epistle by reviewing one of the more difficult verses of the Bible. Although we may not understand the supernatural events of the death of Jesus, we do know that he had made a proclamation by his death to those evil forces that have always attempted to stop him from fulfilling the will of God, the Father. His death and resurrection was fulfilled for our redemption and satisfied God's judgment against our sin. Let's join Pastor Rob now for this important lesson.
1: In the Roman Catholic Church, if you pray hard enough, if you give enough mass cards to friends and they pray, maybe you can expiate your loved one from this place and if you if your faith is good enough and if you give enough money and you pray hard enough, you can get that person out of out of this place and they can go to heaven. There's no foundation of that in the Bible at all. No foundation whatsoever. It's a false doctrine. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that's what purgatory is, is works. If I do enough, if I pray enough, if I give enough, I can get my loved one out of this place. Nonsense. The Bible speaks very clearly about that. Turn with me to Luke chapter 16, because Jesus said on the cross, It's finished. There is no second chance. I wish there were. But if there were, he wouldn't have need to die. He could have just bypassed the whole thing and just let everybody live the life that they want. And, and honestly, is life living a life of sin, is it really a joy? I mean, does anybody really enjoy waking up and having the, the guilt and, and the, the emotional guilt and the frustration and that you've hurt somebody and that you wake up to somebody you've never known before and you got a hangover and now you lost your job because you're hooked on heroin and you're hooked on painkillers and you've, you've been dealing with stuff on the track and now you've had to hock things so that you could pay your bills. The next thing you know, you're losing your job, you're losing your wife and your health is on the rocks and the next thing you know, you end up in, in, in a hospital with an IV coming out of your arm, keeping you alive because of your your barbarous life that you've lived. But notice what it says in Luke chapter 16. Jesus himself gives us what has happened. What happens when you die? He tells us. He says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried with the angels, or by the angels, to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, what we would call hell, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. So there is a consciousness in hell. There is A desperate place where there are torments in hell. I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides this, besides all of this, between us. And you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. And then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear him. Right? The Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. There's no other way you can come to the Lord. You have to hear you have to hear. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they go, if, or if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, they'll run, rise from the dead. And so Jesus himself gives us what this is all about. Before his death and resurrection, when somebody passed away, they went to this place called Sheol, or the grave, or Hades. These two terms are equivalent, Hades and, and Sheol. The Jews would call it Sheol. The, the Greeks would call it Hades. It's basically the same place. And I don't know that we'll have time. I, there's verses I can show you, but I'm not going to go there for now. But they are equivalent. And within this place, and the, the best way to, to talk about this is visually. When, in just a moment, I'll share that. But there's a place for the unbelievers, and there's a place for the believers who passed away before Christ's death and resurrection. If you remember in Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 39, Jesus... He was speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees when they came, and they wanted to be entertained. They said, we want to see a sign from you, Jesus. And he answered and said to them, he says, an evil and adulterous nation, generation, seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the son of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In the heart of the earth. You know, no one likes to think of Jesus going to hell, and I don't either. Because he didn't deserve to go to hell. I deserve to go to hell. (laughs) He, the perfect spotless Lamb of God, does not deserve to go to hell. But would it be easier for you, would it bother you less, if Jesus visited this place to proclaim his victory over death and hell after his death on the cross and his resurrection? Again, he didn't go there to suffer punishment. He did not go there to suffer punishment, because the punishment that he received on the cross satisfied the Lord, satisfied his Father. Not only the public lashings and the physical stuff, he was forsaken on the cross. God the Father looked away from his son. That's what the word forsaken. He was forsaken on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what the word means, abandoned. All of the sin of the world was upon him. His own father, whom he's known for eternity past and eternity present, looked away and left his son abandoned on the cross. And it had to be that way. And what happened? In Psalm 139, Psalm of David, it says, Where can I go from your spirit? Does it bother you that Jesus visited hell or Hades? It doesn't bother me, and we're going to look at that. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. And if I make my bed in hell, in Sheol, you are there as well. If I make my bed in the grave where this, these, these this compartments of the unbelievers and Hades and, 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 and Abraham's bosom, what we would call paradise, what Jesus called paradise on the cross. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And we'll talk about that too. But this word hell in Psalm 139 is sheol. It literally means the grave, this underworld. If you notice in this graphic, it says sheol or Hades, those are both equivalent, and then there are two compartments, one for the unbelievers there on your left side, and that is called hades and many believe and we 're going to look into this too briefly is that there may be levels of hell, you know Hades is where unbelievers would go, and then Tartarus is where we 're going to see that these angels have have uh, are, are are sent, and they are put under, until the judgment, they are going to be incarcerated, put into a prison. And we're going to also see in Revelation that there is this place called the Abuso, this abyss that Satan himself will be sent down to the very lowest parts. And it's fitting that he is at the lowest part. And then the fallen angels, and then unredeemed mankind, those who have rejected Christ. But on the other side, we have the believers, We saw in Luke 16, just a few moments ago, Abraham's bosom, this place called paradise. You and I would call that heaven. We don't have time to go there, but if you look at Psalm 16, verses 9 and 10, well, let's go there. (laughs) You don't have to go there. Let me just read it to you for the sake of time, okay? And, And again, you can come up and I can share this stuff with you later. But it says, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol... Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. That's what it is in the Hebrew. And then, if we go over into Acts chapter 2, Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, he says the very same thing as he's talking to the religious leaders. He says, verse 25, he says, For David says, concerning him, concerning Christ, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh shall rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades. The same exact verse. Peter chooses by the Spirit the word Hades instead of Sheol. So we know that those two terms are synonymous. Sheol and Hades are synonymous. Same place. Same place. But notice in verse 19 in Second Peter here, it says, By whom he also, he went and he preached to the spirits in prison. But what did he preach? If he preached the gospel to a bunch of uh, angels, guess what? Angels aren't uh, candidates of salvation. Why would you preach to an angel who can't be saved? Well, if you look at, again, you look at the, uh, what the word means in the original language, it helps out quite a bit, actually. The word preach here is cariso and it literally means to proclaim like a herald would come into a city before the king comes and says, all hail the king, and he would make a proclamation. It would be a very bold proclamation. There would be gravity and and, an authority which must be listened to and obeyed. It means to publish and proclaim victory, and that's literally what the word means. It's very different from the other words uh, like preach the gospel. We'll look at that in a minute. But Jesus' preaching was not the gospel so that he, to them who he was speaking to, might have the opportunity to be saved. That's not what it was. It was a victorious declaration. Remember, he died on the cross. His victory was seen by the invisible principalities and powers during his second coming. And his victory over Satan and the world governments will be seen by all. They will be seen by all. And what did he preach to these 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 demons or these fallen angels, and we 're going to look at that in a minute. Could it be that he preached, "O oh death, where is your sting? Oh hades, where is your victory? Where is your victory? I like the idea of Jesus. When he died, he goes down and he tells them, those who have been trying to thwart his plan of redemption for hundreds and, and even thousands of years, he goes and he tells them, It is done, it is finished. And he points the finger right at them and he says, Your day is done. <laughs> I like that. Doesn't it make you feel good? <laughs> it does me. That my savior wasn't just some, you know, effeminate savior. No, he went right to his enemies. He went right to their doorstep, and he told them, you failed. You failed, and I'm here to tell you, my victory is sure, and your day is done. I love that. That gives me goosebumps. Hmm. Love that. He made an open show of them. He made an open show of them. What does it say in Colossians? It says that having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them on the cross. When he died, he went and he made a public spectacle of them over principality as in powers, triumphing, triumphing over them in it, and when he preached, he didn't preach the gospel as in other verses in the Bible, like this one, like in Luke chapter four verse 18, it says, "The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel that's a whole different word. It's evangelizo. It literally means to proclaim the good news of the gospel, the New Testament of Christ and his saving grace and his saving work on the cross. That's what the word means, very different from the word we looked at earlier where it's cariso it's a proclamation of victory do you get my point a victory and see that's why words are very important that's why it's good to have a concordance to look up these words in the original meanings and you can look them up i can show them to you that's exactly what they mean and therefore everything becomes much clearer so who are these spirits that he preached to the word spirits is pneuma which in the Greek literally means, overwhelmingly, it refers to spirits. Not human, not a human soul, but spirits. These created beings that God has created and allowed to be created. That's who these are talking about. Not men and women who have died. And this is not about a human soul. This is about a spiritual being. Because God doesn't save angels, he saves people. In Hebrews it says, For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. That's not only the Jews, but that also refers to you and I. But turn with me to Genesis chapter 6, because we're going to find out who these spirits are. In Genesis chapter 6, this is the chapter right before the flood, Of Noah's day, and it says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, underline that word, saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all that they chose. And the Lord said, Notice this, this is very important. Normally, you know, God for really, He didn't really. Support the idea of having multiple wives, but there's something unique about this because he says, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. And for they were giants, they were Nephilim on the earth in those days, and also afterward, meaning after the flood. And when the sons of God, again, there's that term again, came in to the daughters of men and bore children to them, these were the mighty men that were of old, men of renown. Then the, notice what happens right after that. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man. It was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Some have thought that this, these sons of God were somehow the godly line of Seth. But let me ask you something. When you have two normal people coming together, do you breed giants? I mean, these were giants. I mean, they were huge stature, over nine feet tall, this race of human beings that that tormented the, the earth before the flood of Noah and even after the flood. And we say the devil, and we're going to look at that, these fallen angels, we believe, and we're going to look into this briefly they came to earth. They left their habitation. They should have been in heaven. They should have stayed in their place in heaven. But because of their rebellion, they came to earth and they interbred with women. And they came, and the result of that were these Nephilim, these giants, these men of great stature. Normally, when two people get together and they have kids, they don't have this bizarre genetic nightmare. But each time, God says, something wicked is happening here. And again, this is conjecture somewhat. But something happened. Something happened. These sons of God literally means Benai Elohim, and you've heard of this before. And in the Old Testament, this phrase, sons of God, it occurs five times. And four times out of five of them, it's always in a negative context with Satan involved in the process. And we don't have time to go in there, but you can look at job, uh, Job. You can look at Job. You can look at Job 1, verse 6, Job 2, verse 1. And we looked at already two verses here in Genesis 6. But notice what it says in Jude, this New Testament book, right before the book of Revelation. I'm going to read it to you. Verses 6 and 7, it says, The angels who did not keep their proper domain, they should have remained in heaven, but in their rebellion, notice, but they left their own abode, and it says God has reserved These in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. We know that that day is coming yet. But he's reserved these angels, these ones who did not keep their their abode in heaven, but they came down and they fornicated with human women and developed this race of giants, this Nephilim. And did you know that Goliath was a descendant of Anak, who was a descendant of the Nephilim? These giants, that's why God was so intent on wiping them out, even after the flood. And because of that, the flood came, part of the reason. And now even after the flood, these things were happening. You know, it's a strange thing. And notice it says in verse 7 of Jude, As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities round them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. Strange flesh indeed, it's not the same flesh, it's strange flesh. We know that the city of Sodom was given over to bestiality and all kinds of wickedness. And he's comparing these angels to that because they were of a heavenly origin, they were of an angelic origin, and now they are searching out strange flesh, a flesh that doesn't belong to them. It's not like them, it's different. It's very different. These fallen angels crossed the line and God judged them, and the result, which was a world polluted with the sin which had to be destroyed. So what was the purpose or plan behind this? Well, they wanted to pollute, we believe, the human bloodline. And why? To thwart the coming of the Messiah. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when Adam and Eve had sinned, what did God say to Eve or say to Satan? He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed, demonic seed, and her seed. Speaking of Jesus Christ. He, Jesus, shall bruise Satan's head. He shall bruise your head, which means crush. He's going to crush your head, Satan, and you shall bruise his heel. You're going to crush his heel, but he's going to crush your head. The victory is going to be Christ. And so you can see Satan knowing this in advance, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, doing everything he can to thwart this process and inundating the the line of human beings and coming in through ang- these angelic fallen nature, these fallen angels, and then breeding with women. This is spooky stuff, honestly. Sounds like Star Trek, doesn't it? But I believe it's true. I believe it's true. And God has to put an end to it, and he hates it. So we believe that's who these spirits are, by whom he preached to the spirits in prison. Turn with me, or actually, let me just read it to you for the sake of time. In Second Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4 and 5, it says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, that's who we're speaking about, if he didn't spare them but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. This word hell in this context literally means Tartarus. This is the only time it's mentioned in the entire Bible, and we believe this is a level of hell. Like you have Hades, and then you have this big container as you can see up here, and Tartarus is in the lower part of that. That's the only way I can picture that in my head, is that there is a lower parts for specific individuals, and God has placed these fallen angels into this place called Tartarus, this lower part of hell. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. That sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? Sounds kind of spooky. Before we get into this next section... And we're going to end here. I believe that when Jesus died on the cross, that he, he went to this place, this place called Sheol, or this place called Hades, which has these two different compartments. We don't have time to go there today, but when we get to these passages, we'll return to this again. But there are verses in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9 specifically, that says that when he went He led, when he descended into the earth, he led captivity captive. And these people in Abraham's bosom here, in this area, this compartment, if you will, faithful believers, he led them to heaven. And some point, either then or after that, he went down to Hades or to Tartarus, and he told those angels who had been trying to thwart the bloodline and to somehow try and thwart the very Messiah, Christ, from coming to save human mankind. He told them, he proclaimed to them, he preached to them the victory that he had obtained on the cross. And to me, folks, that is really good news. Does that bother anybody, that that Jesus visited this place? It doesn't bother me at all, because he didn't go because of his own merit. He went because he proclaimed his victory. To me, I just, bear with me for a minute, because I'm a guy I see him coming in, you know, like on a white horse, coming into town with his
0: guns. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time when Pastor Rob continues our study in First Peter. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625.